This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Working Class Bowhunter podcast starts in 3, 2, 1. I think I left about 4 No one honestly really cares. Steve's calling me while I'm holding <laughs> getting ready for this deer to stand up. I'm glad you took this deer out. He doesn't even drive American. <laughs> See, that deer's what's exactly what's wrong with this country, right? He doesn't even support local American-made deer-compatible vehicles. <laughs> that one that one arrow cost me $33,000. what happened? Just... Aiming too long and just moved a little bit. And it's like, oh no, it fired, you know, crap. I knew as soon as it left, it was just a little high. But he came right out in the field, made a scrape right in the cornfield, started grunting, walked 30 yards, made another scrape. You're listening to the Working Class Bow Hunter. That's right, this is the podcast for Billy Joe Lunch Bucket, the working man, just like me and you. My name's Travis T Bone Turner from The Bone Collector. Thank you for tuning in. Episode number 111 of the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast, and you'd think we would ner- learn to not be on our phones right before the podcast starts, but we never do, and we are at 1600 Buckslayer Place right here in the beautiful Buckatorium in lovely Sherrard, Illinois. Once again, it's the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast. You know you're tuned in. You're hearing Steve right now. In the studio is Kurt, Eric, and the wonderful Mr. Part of the Mild Time Club. Now... You've already, oh man, <laughs> one half of the Mile Time Club, Clark Cummings from Respect the Game TV. Let's get right into it, fellas. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. We're doing awesome. Doing good. Thanks the, for having me. Oh man, yeah, the, the pleasure's all ours. Thank you for making the trip. You're actually in studio. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> it's, <laughs> dude, it's, it's, in the middle of, it's in the middle of deer season, so, you know, our, uh, we're we're always happy to come and uh, do a podcast for you guys. So you know we got to kind of move them a little later so we can get out of the woods and things. And that's how it works. We had a, a good weekend. Um, my dad shot a nice eight point. Mm-hmm. Clark's son put down a, a big buck, which we'll mention a little Ooh. bit later. <laughs> we'll um, talk about that. Yeah, the episode is brought to you by HHA Sports, Badlands Packs, and Smith's Custom Meats and Deer Processing locally in Viola, which we got to visit there this last weekend, which was awesome. Yeah. And uh, meatloaf is coming, by the way. Oh, is he going to get meatloaf? Yes. You got to get the meatloaf. You ever been there, Clark? No, I have not. Oh. I've, I've been to the to the actual facility when I was delivering, but yeah. I never actually got anything from there. So. Well, you deliver all the way up there? I used to. Oh, no joke. Mm-hmm. If you ever take a deer there, you got to get the meatloaf. You got to get the meatloaf. They're the best. They come like prepackaged. You just throw them in the They're oven. They're already made in a tin, so you just throw them in the oven. That's all you got to do. The salami, too. Everything's good. Oh, too good. Oh, but Bologna. I'm sorry, not salami. Bologna. But yeah, we had a good weekend, Bologna. successful weekend. I think the weekends from here on out, it's just getting like better from here. Yeah, yeah, they're looking real good. I mean, you know, we had a couple hot days. You know, and it was like 87. You know, on one of these Mondays uh, here back, but it's starting to drop off. You know, looking like some of the highs are going to be 61. You know, like last weekend was 70. 
two was the high. Well, it the weekend, breezy and the the weather's starting to get crisp and cold and frosty, and that's you know recipe in the rut. I've still in, deer hunting. in on in my woods, man. I've still got a ton of green leaves. Like it's it's nuts. Like it it's, does well when it's frosty and cold out. It doesn't seem like there still should be a lot of green. I don't no. know. Yeah, it's yeah. it everywhere you look. I mean, you know, you'll see just a barely a patch of like you know yellow or whatever leaves, but. They're, yeah, it's kind of starting. To, they're starting to turn. I'm, I'm sure they will. This week's really going to help, but um, it's always one of those things. You'll go to the woods next time. You're like, well, all the leaves are gone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to happen all now. I, this year. Now I stick yep. out like a sore thumb. Yeah, it's yeah. how it feels. Like all the stands, you had a bunch of cover in. You're kind of like, ah, I got to reevaluate this. Yeah, this ain't going to work. But uh, maybe Clark can give us tips for that. So respect <laughs> the game, TV. Well, before we get into that. To, we do have Hurry to. Uh, we ha- hey, we have to give a thanks to our vets. <laughs> this will take all the time in the world, Kurt. I will, but I, you always forget. And when we get I into know, it, you're I like, know, well, hold on. Well, now. The conversation's going good. You know how it is. But um, this conversation couldn't flow the way it does if it weren't for vets always protecting our freedoms to bring this podcast to you. And if you want to help out the vets because you know they help you not speak Russian, you can go to darkhorselodge.org. It's going to be a peaceful retreat for combat veterans. Um, check them out. On the website, they're on Facebook. You can donate to them. It's going to be awesome. You know, guys that went over there and protected freedom can now just hang out with some of their buddies, catch up, hunt, fish, do whatever they need to do. DarkHorseLodge.org. You go to Amazon, you're going to buy something, you know, whatever you're going to buy. You're going to buy that brand new Anthony Hamilton CD or, you know, Led Zeppelin, whoever you listen to. Go to Smile.Amazon.com. <laughs> it's like regular Amazon, wherever you purchase Select Dark Horse Lodge, and a portion of those uh, proceeds will go to Dark Horse Lodge. So, uh, again, check them out, man. And you know what? I want to know who's out there actually donating. If you can show me that you donated, I'll send you some stickers. How's that sound? That works. So send it to me. Find us. Uh, go to workingclassbowhunter.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Find us. You can find. You get a hold of us. Send us a message. Send us your address and show us that you did donate, and we'll get you some stickers, man, because you guys are awesome. That being said, thank you, Vets. Thank you, Clark, for being here. Talk to us about deer hunting. I'm ready. Respect the game. <laughs> Respect the game. Which is an awesome show. Where can people find that if they're unfamiliar, which if they're not? Or if they're unfamiliar, they should be. You can find it on the Sportsman's Channel. Uh, we're seasonal, so we'll be uh, airing and starting in January again. We'll run two quarters. First quarter is generally uh, the new episodes, and then it switches over to the reruns. Okay. Um, although we have lately been kind of switching that out, so about half and half. So, does Elite still have all the episodes on the website? Absolutely. Yeah, they're they're on the Elite the or Elite. If you just go, go to the Respect the Game link. Okay, I'll put that in the description of the episode, so yep. people can click right through that. And they've got Vimeo too. Um, we can put. Well, I'll, I'll get. We'll, we'll get the link for that, mm-hmm. um, where you can go check that out, and along with uh, a lot of other, you know, um, cool clips and things like that. Yeah, it's actually a really awesome show. I really enjoy it, and it's cool watching people I know on it. Uh, you and Ross. Ross was on the last episode, so get the uh, respect the Game Boys in the house, which is always awesome. You guys are pretty much local. Which the is Mile a- Tyne Club. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I like that. That's their names. They're, they're the tag team because you know I, I think if you take. The amount of uh, deer uh, antler that you two have put on the uh, ground, you know, just last season, it would reach uh, a legitimate mile, you know, 2,000-something <laughs> feet. Well, that's just that's well, what I'm guessing. How many inches is that? You don't have to do the math right now. No. Moving uh, on. I, well, that'll take a while. <laughs> He's thinking. <laughs> I think Get a mile a minute. So. <laughs> Rut is around the corner you could say and like how we always joke around and say depending on yeah, when we, someone posts on facebook yeah whatever the facebook post is that's what we'll go with if it's trending oh if rut's trending then we know it's a, a thing okay clark yeah. let's let's pick your brain a little bit when is your let's start with this and then i want to get into more detail about small parcels because you kill a lot of big deer and people are automatically going to assume because you're on tv and you kill big deer that you hunt thousands of acres and that you just have these deer riled up and that's not the case no that's we hunt mostly all small farms when i say small i'm talking 100 acres or less some even 20 acres Mm -hmm. 40 acres i hunt a lot of that uh, just smaller smaller parcels kind of like everybody else around here it's just 
I'm, I'm not a rich guy, so I just I get to hunt what I can. And, right. Uh, That's the majority of, yeah, I mean, of, of bow hunters for yeah. sure. You just got to make the best of what you've got. And there's still some really good opportunity. Definitely. Yeah, my dad killed a buck last weekend on, I don't know, it can't be. In the actual timber, he shot his deer. Two acres of timber, yeah. really? Yeah. Just <laughs> surrounded by a bean in a cornfield? They like those small parcels, though. But what tips can you give people for, like, we'll start with setup on a small parcel as far as maybe some scouting or stands or, or just whatever you can get into detail on. I kind of, I guess the way I hunt a small farm is kind of like you would hunt a big farm. I, I still run several stands. I want a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Uh, for wind or? For wind, yeah, mainly for wind and for situation. Um, and it depends, too. Some places you can access better than others. You might get to be able to get in on uh, two or three sides of it. Some you only have one way in, so that kind of limits you, too. But mm-hmm. uh, if I'm developing a property, I, I try to create my access first. And then I'll, I'll, after I create my access, I'll actually kind of plan my bedding and my food to how I have to access that property because you're really limited on how you can get in and out. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So you want to put your bedding where you're not going to be walking right past it and you're not going to be walking through your food. So it gets a little tricky when you're hunting a 40-acre piece. Yeah. But, yeah. but you can do it. And I, I usually have, if I was to split up a 40 acres, I might split it into four 10 acres just roughly using the creeks or right ridge lines or anything else and i just kind of roughly divide that so uh, when you say like setting up the bedding area what 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 types of things do you do um i do a lot of hinge cutting if it needs it there's certain places that i've actually had to go in and knock down some because it's almost too thick like if you get a place that's full of autumn olive or bush honeysuckle you might right you might have it so tangled together that you'll notice the deer just aren't using it Gotcha. Um, okay. So, at See, that point, you might want to go in and actually create lanes for them to get back in and out of there. Just ease uh, of movement. So, hinge cutting that gets brought up a lot, and you see, uh, I, well, I'd say more in the last year, I've been seeing more people talk about hinge more cutting. articles and yeah, stuff. About more articles, it. more videos. Some of the guys your whitetail properties do videos on it. Yeah. And I've never done it, um, partially because I just, for some reason, I just I don't know why I've never wanted to just cut down trees. It seems. It seems pointless, but I understand how it works. Yeah. Um, is that something that you can do anywhere? Like, okay, this is what I'm going to call it. I'm going to hinge cut this area and call it the bedding area. Or is it kind of, is there a certain spot where you'd rather hinge cut over here versus over here? And I'm imagine layout of food and whatever would, would yeah, dictate I mean, that. But that's with a with a smaller property. Sometimes you're limited to what what you can do. But I might even plan it by the seasons like for if you want a winter bedding property you might want it to be a south facing slope to catch to catch the sunlight um there's there's different situations but 90 percent of what i'm kind of forced into is based around the access Mm -hmm. and but when i say access i don't want i don't want the deer bedding on a ridge that faces where they have to see me come in so okay yeah i might get to where where i know they can't see me come in and make that the honey hole Mm mm-hmm and then I'm strict about going in and out of that. Once I make my cuts, unless it's shed season or I'm tracking a dead deer, it's off limits. Right. So, so talk to me now about you know we're um, we're kind of already into the into the full swing of things. It's about to start getting really good. What are you know besides everything that you mentioned? What are things that you're looking for if you've got a couple different farms that you can pick? You know, and you've only got limited amount of time to go hunt. What are some main things you're going to be looking for, and how are you going to attack that? Well, I'm I'm always looking for the food source, uh, whether it's acorns, like it was earlier this year. I had really heavy acorn drops, so mm-hmm. I want to be near the acorns. Um, so it might be somewhere near an oak flat. Um, and I generally, you know, early season they're not going to travel miles to get to their food like they do later in the winter so you're going to have to be somewhat close to to where they're feeding so you kind of know where your deer are bedding right and then you know they're moving towards the oak flat so you're going to try to get them in that transition between the two okay and it's a pretty small transition this or earlier in the year it's starting to widen out now you'll you'll get more movement but 
Um, and it's going to just keep getting better naturally towards the end of the month, and, and then it'll get haywire. Right. <laughs> yep. So we hope. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Sometimes it doesn't, but we, we're hoping for that. So, so between that and uh, management, so obviously everyone wants big bucks. I mean, you know, there's except everyone wants to meet, but big bucks is a huge bonus. Antlers are the big bonus, and that's what everyone goes for, and it's fun to watch deer grow. How do you go about managing, I guess, in general, your, from your does to buck management and maybe mention a little bit about coyote management if you do a lot about that and anywhere in between that you think would be notable yeah i shoot a coyote anytime i can yeah um just just because they're hard to hunt anyway so if you get a chance to kill one then you better kill them and they're cool um the only exception is if it's like some super crisp november 8th morning and i don't want to <laughs> that's the first thing you around see. in front of my tree right right yelping so i <laughs> i just i'll let them go then that's about the only time most of the time if i can get an arrow in one i just do it mm-hmm. um, i do hunt coyotes later in the winter i'd like to get back into trap and i haven't done that for years but i, I think that's a big issue if you could if you could get rid of some of your coyotes that would definitely help but for sure i recently we don't have to get too into detail heard a different theory on shooting coyotes um and baker brought it up there's that dan yeah. flores book the um uh, it's a, the book about coyotes where he talks when you hear the coyotes howling they're taking roll call and yep. there's something mm-hmm. in the females like uh i don't know what i don't even know how to get so into if they, it the way you explain it if they hear one missing then they there's start like a, breeding more or something they'll right. add more they'll there's add a, more to the if pack. there's a lack of roll call yeah. she'll just you know get a little promiscuous as they might say and then more coyotes that's, wow. what, that's a theory to think about but i don't know yeah i gotta read that book i hadn't heard that one though that's kind of a cool theory i'll read the book and then we'll talk more. yeah about buy it. it on amazon but smile that amazon dark horse live i'll do that i will do that but uh but basically like well, let's talk doe management because we t- we've talked a lot about that on the podcast shoot them early shoot them late Everyone has a different theory yeah. on it. My theory is probably going to differ from most people's theory. Mm-hmm. I don't shoot does until late if I'm going to shoot any at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly, I don't want to shoot what I'm not going to eat. And I've, if I can kill a buck or two a year, that's about what I eat. Mm-hmm. Um, if my son's out, he he's still in the younger killing stage. I let him do my doe, doe management. Yeah, I think um, he just graduated this weekend, so <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say that that's probably uh, out. Yeah. <laughs> the bar's but, only up from there, so good luck yeah, ever hunting again. Yeah, he's kind of he's setting the bar pretty high from here on out. But, right. well, that's but a, overall, I, I don't shoot a lot of does because there's two reasons. In, in hunting a small property, the, the biggest reason, you shoot the doe, you've got to go in and get it somehow. Right. And if I shoot one a little back or whatever – which you don't want to, but sometimes these things happen. And I don't want to stomp my whole 40 acres to get a doe out right. before the good stuff starts. That's a good and, point. Uh, it's a really so good point. I, I'm so probably overcautious on getting in and out of my property. I don't want to shoot a doe until late. So if I'm shooting a doe, it's it's generally late season, like when it's too cold that most people don't even want to be out there. That's when, if I feel like I have to shoot does, if I've just got too many does, that's when I do it is late. That's uh, a, yeah. That's interesting. I know, so, you know, a lot of people don't ever mention going into your property yeah. when you have a small that's parcel a first for that. I think uh, that's one of those things I think gets overlooked for absolutely. the majority of us that hunt smaller parcels. And that's a really good point, And that's something to take note of. Yeah. But who was it? Was it Ross that said, uh, somebody said they don't like shooting does late season because they could be carrying the next Boone and Crockett deer, you know? The way I look at that is almost every doe is going to get bred anyway, so whether you shoot it early or shoot it late, it probably was going to be carrying something. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah there's it's hardly true. any that are going to be left unbred. I mean, in this right. area, I mean, how often do you see does that don't have fawns? I mean, that's not that often. For sure. Well, the thing is, it's like... It, the doe thing's so debatable. Everyone's got a different answer, but that's why we like to interviewing and talking to people about it because if if I get it, it depends. I'm it depends on what situation my freezer is in. Yeah, you know that right. all it really dictates what I do. And so, that's, that's meat what crisis. it's all about. Meat crisis. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean that's. I would absolutely not hesitate to shoot a doe if I was hungry for deer meat because right. that's what we're out there for. But ninety percent of the time, I, I'm kind of almost pushing to get my last meat eaten before i put the next meat in so right i'm not in that i used to eat 
several. And when I was a bachelor, I mean, that's, that's what I lived off of. My <laughs> buddies come over and we cooked out and we'd eat six or seven deer a year. And so I would take six or seven deer a year. I just, yeah. I'll, I'll shoot what I can eat. Well, that's a good point and, too, uh, is Matt is, is a deer killer and yeah. a good one. He's and a bachelor. So yeah, like 12. <laughs> I gotta, <laughs> well, I got to keep him off the trigger. So that's, he wants to shoot yeah. pretty much anything that moves. Can I shoot it? Can I, and I, right. I always like, well, let's wait until a cooler day. That's another thing with doe management. I rarely would shoot a deer when it's warm. I just like it when it's cold out. So yeah. if I'm shooting, I butcher them myself. I don't want to have it 70 degrees and have to do a doe. Yeah, I, I right when you get hang. home. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I want to yep. leave it hang for two or three days or four or five days or whatever. But I don't. I don't like shooting them when it's warm. That's the other reason I go when it's a little later. No, um, no, that totally makes sense. It's a, would it's you? A good point. But let's let's paint a situation. So you're out there hunting. It's November seventh, and you've got a doe just blowing at you at twenty yards. <laughs> Is it night night, sister? Or are you? No, really? Uh, not for me. I, I'll let her do her thing and get mad at her. And now the only time I'll shoot a doe, a lot of times if if I shoot a buck. And I'm sitting there waiting. I'll give it an hour or two. <laughs> and a doe walks by at that point when I know I'm already going to be in there looking for my buck. I'm going to go ahead and shoot the doe. It's a good time to get it done. I'm going to be in there anyway. So yeah, I'll pass the time. I've done that two or three times where I've shot a buck and I just think, okay, I'm going to sit here. And if a doe walks by, she's going to get it too. So <laughs> so I'll leave with two of them rather than one. It's good thinking, though. Um, That's awesome. I had but, one year I shot a doe. It was I, tried, I was trying to shoot. It was October 17th. Mm. I don't know, five years ago. So I shot a doe. She runs 20 yards, crashes on this mode path. She made a bunch of noise. She like, you know when they, they're going down, but they're running full sprint and drags her legs. Mm-hmm. Went down. I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. She slid pretty far. I don't know. That commotion got a buck up, and he was like, I'm going to come check this out. Ten minutes later, same path, big buck comes running down, same spot. Smoked him, same spot, like crashed right behind her. I'm like, I don't know. If me shooting the doe. Got him up like, huh, what was that crashing around? He came in to check it out, or if it was just by just chance. Just happened that yeah. way. Yeah. Why, would you, why would you think that is? You know, if, like, there's, a like, a commotion, they'll come check it out. You know, why wouldn't they? You would, you would uh, think, They're curious animals, man. They're yeah. more as, curious people as, give them credit for. As skittish as they are sometimes. Like, when I got, like, it was really weird. You know, I was talking to you. I got, uh, I got busted uh, by a deer that I didn't even see, and it took off from my left and immediately as soon as i got busted to my right a doe and two of her fawns came in like cool hand luke or well cool hand lucy you know just (laughs) nothing and it was just kind of like okay well you know this deer is going nuts but yet these other deer were just calm you know yeah they're all different they're all they're curious but like why do you think bucks come into rattling antlers sometimes that's a a huge commotion. Oh yeah, yeah, but but they understand what that rattling is. I mean, uh, maybe yeah. they, maybe he could have thought it was a. But the commotion making of, a scrape or running a deer chasing a doe. Hey, maybe you never maybe know. Deer just like seeing fights, like we all do on the internet. You know, they're thinking <laughs> world star. I, okay, I, I don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm going to take I'm, this and circle it yeah, back let's, around. Let's, so let's we talk get back doe management. Let's, can we talk buck management as far as what? What's the line, and or how do you manage small properties as far as, like, I want to create bigger bucks? Um, naturally, if my small property management plan would be to keep them protected. Um, so, basically, that's my management. Keep as many of them protected as I can by not going in and out, giving them a sanctuary. So, basically, at the end of the day, most of my property is a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to hunt hunt the edges of it. Uh, back to the splitting a 40 into 10 acre sections if you can access it well enough i might have a food plot and a bedding area in all four quarters of the property that's a well, great that also tip. keeps mm-hmm. the bucks busy i mean you think about a buck that gets up out of its bed and if it's got one food plot to go to and this actually happened on the on the 40 that i just most recently bought mm-hmm. the fields were all to the it'd be to the northeast well, every day they would get up, and that's where all the deer activity went straight out the northeast corner, which was great for that wind. If you was if you was hunting up in that corner when the wind was right, mm-hmm. you would have a great hunt. But the rest of the property was pretty much dead, except in the mornings you might catch them kind of cruising around. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I split that property into 
like four semi sections, I guess. And I created a food plot and bedding on each. Well, what I did is it that allowed the doe groups to be happy. I actually have almost every night, and it's different does. It's not the same ones. I mean, they will intermingle with each other, but mm-hmm. it's like each one has its own little group, and I keep them happy on that. So <laughs> The mean and, girls, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, and the biologist that actually come out and was looking at my property, I told him my theory and how I was going to do it, and I'd actually done this on a couple of our other properties, and mm-hmm. he said, let me know how that works for you. Said, like okay. being cocky kind of? Yeah, or? and he just – and he was – I knew him, and we, we get along good, but he just – he kind of smiled and said, well, let me know how that works out for you. Well, it, it's worked awesome so, <laughs> um, because they do it every night and I keep them, I keep them pretty happy in there. They're every night I can kind of plan on a certain group being up in the <laughs> certain right. corner of the farm. But what that does is then, then you have your bucks come in or if they're already bedding in there in the, through the middle of the day, they get up. Now they've got to check four spots. Right. Mm-hmm. They're checking they, every yeah. single one. Yeah. They don't leave your property. They don't just beeline out to the field right. an hour before dark. They've got to kind of cruise around your property. So, And I can actually watch them. You'll see the bucks get up and, and move kind of from place to place. You'll watch. I mean, I don't watch them stand up, but you'll just see the bucks start moving. You know, well, he's going up to the other side. Right. Hour or so later, he might come right back around to the food plot I'm sitting near. Yeah. Right. And I don't, when I say I'm not sitting on my food plots a lot of times, I'm always hunting transition. I like the deer to feel uh, a little more secure when they, when they hit the food plot, I don't want them to be worried about wind and me, or I shouldn't say them worried, but I don't want, I don't want to be worried that they're going mm-hmm. to wind me because I right. don't want them to associate danger with the food plot. So I'm generally off to one side between the, the bedding and the food and letting my wind carry out where I know the deer aren't coming from. That's the other beauty of, of creating your own bedding. Right. Because you're putting the deer in a position where you can do that, where if you're hunting natural bedding, sometimes there's just not a real good way to hunt it. Right. Uh, so you're hunting that transition from them going from bedding to food. Yeah. In between there. Yep. Okay. And it so, may only be a 100-yard stretch in between. It may, But I've kind of planned most of my entry and exit to where I can get to that point mm-hmm. without a lot of danger that they're going to see me. I feel like so, that you, sorry, Steve, I feel like that what you do is, which is awesome is you manipulate your property. And I love that the whole idea of like chunking it off into these sections and making each section like mm-hmm. its own mini property. Yeah, And then exactly. the deer, it just, I love that because I feel like the majority of people and I can be included in this. I don't own the ground that I hunt. So typically I'm not going to go in. I, that's what scares me about hinge cutting. I'm yeah. not going to cut down trees that aren't mine, but I wish I could, mm-hmm. um, but I get stuck going, okay, where do I think they're bedding? And sometimes it's not always obvious to me, especially like this year I'm hunting new property, and it's like, okay, well, where is the transition area? And that's like the hard thing for me is dictating. One, it starts when you look at uh, maps, like Google Maps, you're looking at your property, and then seconds going in there and actually seeing what it, the actual layout is. But I just I love the idea of just taking your property and making it, what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it takes a, probably more work than m- most people want to put in. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a passion for me. And, and my dad likes to help. I mean, that's, that's, he, he doesn't hardly deer hunt anymore. He's mostly a, he just, he always says, what kind of projects we got this weekend? I said, well, <laughs> this a, weekend. He's a, he's a retired man, yeah. isn't he? No, but he, he probably wishes. He's he not retired yet. Not yet. No. Oh he's, man. He's still at it. Hey, got to stay busy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wanted to, because you mentioned something a little bit earlier of how you basically just hunt around your property. You know, like, you've got your property in... Um, the fringes, essentially. Yeah, the fringes, because mm-hmm. I'm kind of visualizing it as a stadium. You know yeah. what I mean? So you're just in the bleachers, and you're you're watching the action in there. What is your trail camera setup like? Like, how, how do you, the way that you hunt the outside of your property and leave that, where do you put the cameras? Are they just... Around the fringes too, or I I'll run them on my food plots just to see mm-hmm. what I've got using certain food plots. Because um, that's probably your most most activity, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it kind of the way mine's set up. It when the deer come out, even if it's at night, I'm not so worried about exact patterns, but I'm worried about what deer are on the property. Mm-hmm. And just the experience has kind of told me how they use the property. Right. Um, You're not worried about so, exact patterns because of the way you have it set up. Yeah. And I've also gone through in the wintertime. This is one of my favorite things I do in the winter 
is I'll walk around following the terrain. I might follow a ridge line, and I carry orange tape with me, like the just the marking tape yeah. you know, yep. that you just tie off a little ribbon. Mm-hmm. And I'll find those intersections where the trails all come together, and I'll just mark it. And I may not be putting a stand there, but at least I know where those are. Mm-hmm. So I kind of figured out ahead of time how they're traveling the terrain. So that doesn't change so much from season to season unless a tree falls down a ridge or something mm-hmm. that they can't get around it yeah. and forces them a different direction. Most of the time when they run a ridge, it's because they're following some topographical feature that's that's making them kind of making them force do them to go a certain way. Right, so right. And then I kind of look for the weak spots in, in what they're doing because I don't like the deer to, I guess – the best way to say it is I don't want the deer traveling with the wind at, at their back. Everybody says, well, you want the wind blowing completely away from the deer. But most of your big deer are using their nose. Even if they're not necessarily looking for danger, they use their nose when they travel to find the does, to find the danger. I mean, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a perfect situation for hunting, for me, I want to be quarter wind at best. I want gotcha. them to think that they're traveling with their nose, and I want to be on that bend where all of a sudden the wind's not in their favor anymore. Whoa, that's a <laughs> that's a holy crap! That's yeah. a good way to look. So you're cheating yeah. the system there yeah. by yeah. getting getting out of that wind. Yeah, and that's that's the main reason I go through in the winter and I'll walk those trails because you might have a a ridge line that runs, say, if it runs east and west, mm-hmm. and those deer are following that along and then all of a sudden there's a little ravine that cuts north and south through that ridge line and they've got to go around it well all of a sudden they've got to kind of change direction a little bit they're still moving a general direction but they've got to change to get around that that terrain feature yeah a little well, all of a sudden yeah your wind is blowing away they still think that that the wind's in their favor but it's like a false sense of security they're, yeah. they're kind of traveling using their nose but you can still get them uh, Right. And that's, that's, that's crazy. I, once I started doing that, my success rate with bigger deer went way up because I used to just think, okay, I'm going to hunt this piece of woods and my wind's going to blow straight away from the bedding area. But I seen deer, but it, it's like the big deer always were doing something different. And yeah. you kind of watch how a deer uses its nose. And wow, they use uh, it for everything. Though. Yeah, everything. And we watch like you, you'll see a certain big buck. People say big bucks don't don't go from through the open that often well if you watch in the rut you'll see a big buck go from point to point mm-hmm. well if you think about what's at the end of that point that point is the end of a ravine basically most of the time yep. well, when they're standing at the tip of that point with the wind blowing from the ravine out they can smell everything in that ravine mm-hmm. whether Absolutely. it's danger or a hot doe or whatever so they go to the next point they're covering a big bucks learned to basically they cover, can cover a lot of ground. Yeah, they're, one... they're not like a little buck's going to run every feature in inside of that ravine and zigzag the whole thing. But a big buck knows he can still find the same thing out just at the tip of it, just by smelling it. That's absolutely. a great, great because mm-hmm. that because that ravine's going to funnel right to that point yeah. with the wind. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I was <clears throat> when you explained that about you know if there's like a, a tree down, you know how how deer will manipulate their movement, and I, I, I saw this. Um, I saw this the other day, actually. There was a, there's like this old tree that was down, and it probably sits about three and a half, four feet up. Mm-hmm. And there's a trail that leads right up to it and right past it. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, either they're going around and you would think you would see like a bunch of stuff, or they're just jumping it like constantly. And this is a very heavy trail. And this tree has been down for, for quite a while. So it was just. It's one of those little curious things that when you brought that up, I started thinking about that, like, you know, because it's right on the on the edge of a of a like a little ravine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was just one of them little things that you see out there that's just kind of odd. But you're like, well, I mean, who knows? Deer are weird. Yeah. Well, I want to go back weird. to the wind thing because the, most people think that, like you were saying, the wind's going this way. I'm good to sit here in the stand, but they don't really think about how the deer are using that wind. And I, I just recently set up a stand two weekends ago on, on a new property that I'm hunting. And I guess you could say the the property technically runs like east-west. And I have a – the ravine runs that way. And I set a stand off to the south side of this trail. The, the creek is forcing them to travel the north side of the creek. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking with a northwest wind 
it's kind of if they're traveling east to west is what I'm expecting them to do. Would that kind of be that northwest wind in their favor because they could, they're still getting that wind quartered to them? Yeah. Okay, that makes yeah. me feel a lot better about my setup. I didn't actually have it broken down like that, but yeah. I'm like, oh, I got kind of lucky, huh? Yeah, <laughs> well, even even just a, a just a straight east west ridge, they might on a south wind run the north side of that that ridge if it's a long ridge, and they can cover the whole ridge on the downwind side of it and kind of know what's down and off the edges of those ridges yeah. bedded without having to go up and down every little spot. Mm-hmm. And I see bigger deer doing that more little ones. It seems like they just kind of, they're everywhere yeah. just up and down. You don't know where you're going to see them, but the big ones, I just noticed over the years that they're, they seem to be traveling with purpose. Right. And so you got to figure out how, how they still feel comfortable traveling with purpose, but how where's the kink in their plan because there's always going to be one but you just got to figure out where that is yeah and uh man that's such a great gotta, tip that yeah, is you have to figure out where you can catch them off guard yeah well that could be the most valuable thing mm-hmm. in the woods and that's exactly it. yeah you can get lucky yeah the wind's good but really and not a lot of people take it that far into depth well yeah you like got to think about how is a deer going to use the wind and travel with purpose that's yeah. like the Yep. Yeah, that's some deep, good tip stuff. That That's what I wanted out of this podcast. That yeah, was that's, awesome. That's one thing that that me and the, the kind of core group that I hunt with, That's we've kind of, over the years, just kind of bank off of each other's knowledge, and that's something right. we've, we've learned. My buddy Shannon, he's he come up with a theory a few years ago that I think is probably one of the smartest ones yet. Mm-hmm. He killed two giant deer in a row, and... He wanted to be out there when the wind changed. And when he first said that, I thought that doesn't I don't I don't know if I buy it, but he he killed these deer and he said, "Well, think about this for a second. When when that wind it they are they're calling at 3 o'clock for a hard shift in the wind. It's going to go from a south almost around to a north. Mm-hmm. That wind's not going to be in his favor where he's bedded." Now all of a sudden he's got to get, get up and move. Yeah, he's got to move. So he said it's going to force him to move. No, and he killed both times. I mean, so so now if I see a big shift in the wind in, in the forecast, you're in a tree. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. So you got to figure out where you can get to where that wind's going to be good because right. it's like kind of a indicator what what time they're going to move. And I'm not saying that every time it's going to change that that's going to happen, but yeah. I think it was more than coincidence that he was able to pull that off. But now no. when you first brought it up, I was like that doesn't work. But now that you explained it, I'm like so that yeah, that's why he was with me. He right. come up with that. I'm like, "Oh, come on, Shannon. I don't know right. about it." But he, right. I, he you know, I I I got a theory that I'm just just thinking about, you know, since you said something. Um I noticed this one time there was and had a pretty good wind. And there was a, a group of does that walked down because, like, I, I was on, like, this tip of this ridge. So, like, there was a, a ravine. I went here and here. And they went the, – the mature doe, like, stayed back and let all the other ones go in. And they, like, you know, a couple times they go in this ravine. Do you think a lot of times they go in that ravine to, like, especially if it does with their fawns, to try and educate them? If there is any danger, they know the way out. I can see. I that. mean, I mean do, do you think that's a thing? Is why they would ever go in there? If you know, because the the way the wind kind of swirls around in there. I mean, I I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about that. I I think they feel secure in a ravine because the way it does swirl around, they they're almost getting the full picture by standing in one spot, right? I'm kind of laughing at you a little bit, Steve. Yeah, I know. Well, I was just <laughs> I'm I, seeing you know, the smirk I, over there, but, but no, I, I see know, what you're saying. I get though. what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. Yeah, because, but, yeah. you know, you see, and nobody knows what's really going through a deer's mind except Clark. That's why I asked. <laughs> no, I just guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, it was, it was kind of one of those curious things, you know, you're talking about how, how things can bounce off a little bit. And I, no, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, Doe's going to put their, you know, fawns in immediate danger. On purpose, but... It's a theory. It's a theory. What was your theory that you threw at Ross last episode? About... Oh, yeah. They, if you get blown at, that's <laughs> not a bad deal. No, 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 no. It was, if a button buck blows at you... Oh, yeah, no. It's, it's not a bad thing because he learned from knowing that you were danger, and maybe someday he'll grow into a booner and you'll have yeah. another shot at <laughs> No, yeah, so if you educate, like, these young, like, these button bucks, you know, if you see a button buck, throw, you know, throw something at him, throw a rock at him, and be like, hey, I'm a person... 
and then he'll avoid <laughs> at all times. He'll Ross, avoid you at all. Ross was sitting where Eric was. He's like, yeah, I, I'm, I, yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. <laughs> He's probably okay. mad that he didn't think about it. I but, think it's a good idea, but you probably went on a different stand in four years. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> every deer that Steve's in, it just look, looks up right away. It's or like, make sure you see him like every time exactly, you go out yeah. and yell at him. Exactly, because well, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter how intelligent you are, guys. You know what happened? Sometimes a woman catches us and uh, we make mistakes. You know what happened? <laughs> oh. That deer would turn into a year and a half, two and a half year old, and then get shot by the neighbor because yeah, he's exactly. like, "I'm not hanging out on that guy's property. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. This guy's real nice. He doesn't yell at me. He yells at me every time I'm here. <laughs> I, I appreciate the deep thinking." strategy hey man you know you're just trying to think of things that um you know these biologists that have uh done this for years and years haven't thought of yet and a guy who drinks beer and pours concrete might have thought of it well i appreciate i appreciate your hustle sir clark can we talk a little bit about your uh elk hunt that you were just recently ventured on yeah i was a cameraman but that was probably one of the best experiences i've ever done as a hunter um your first time out west doing first that? time out west first time hunting elk period and mm-hmm. it was it was just awesome i mean it i suggest anybody try it um did I you love, wa- did you walk a lot we did walk a lot mm, we yeah. steve's out yeah, i'm done yeah. <laughs> already was, done it was good though it was yeah i don't care i mean it <laughs> the altitude thing's real i will say that because i was kind of training ahead of that and i was oh, yeah. stair stepping at the y and i was doing all kinds of stuff and right a little bit of running and stuff and I felt really good. Plus, with my job, I'm on the run all the time anyway. So, mm-hmm. not that I'm a picture of health, but I, <laughs> I generally can keep up with anybody. And so you're just winded all the time. Is that what the deal well, is? It's just you get winded fast. Yeah. Okay. On, when you start like, up hills, that's oxygen. It's just like the, your heart feels like it's up near your throat, and it's just like no, I know. Just it's pushing. It's crazy. Yeah, Steve's like, yeah, Steve's like, I've been there. No, yeah, that's, that's, that's everyday life for this. Exactly. Guy. Yeah. Well, what is this? Oh, there's no oxygen. Cool. I live this every day. But no, I hear that is a real thing. Like you know, because it, and it's hilly and you got to climb and it's it's tough. Yeah, it was, but it was great. I mean, you just take it your own pace. I mean, if mm-hmm. that's one thing the guys we was with, they just let's take a break. I mean, it was. We'd go away. They pretty much knew everybody was probably their hearts were pounding. But there was this old guide out there that had lived there his whole life. He's sixty some years old, like sixty seven. Yeah, the guy's climbing hills like it's nothing. I can like, imagine. He's, going, him, he's, he's going up the side of the mountain and he's just like keeps looking back at us and it's like, <laughs> man, this sixty some year old guy's going. But he's he was acclimated. I finally asked him. I said, how do you how do you keep going like that at your age? And he he said, well, I've been doing it for the last sixty years. Right. So. <laughs> so I don't know any different. <laughs> hey, they they don't get that old Man. for a reason. Yeah. yeah. So you guys put an elk down in the group? Yeah, we did. We we got a Weston Clark, my buddy. He, I was filming and love that guy. Yeah, he was he was a lot of fun to hang around with. I learned a lot from him. He's an excellent caller and he knows elk. I was really surprised at how cautious you have to be. Everybody said, "Well, it's like turkey hunting except for yeah, big game and and it was but the problem is, is when you move in on a turkey, you're moving in on a turkey all the way until you, you, you move up till you think, okay, we're going to sit down and get after him. Yeah. Well, up there, the wind is so shifty that the scent puffer never come out of his hand the whole time. He's constantly puffing the little powder into the wind. Really? Because of the hills and everything and all yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be blowing from the west, and then the next thing you know, it's blowing from the east. And it's this is all day long. It doesn't stop. It's just oh, man. How do you back ever... and forth. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're basically you're not going on to a mountain thinking, well, we got a northwest wind today. You're going up there with a scent puffer and you're monitoring <laughs> your wind the whole entire time. And literally we would a couple times got right in on the elk. And then he's like, We gotta back out, we gotta go. The wind's blowing at him. He said they're gonna catch us. So we literally almost at a run because the elk are still out of sight yeah. back down the mountain again. Like, man, Whoa. we was right with there that, with them. And then, then the wind gets right again. Then we move right back up to where we was <laughs> with Holy that thinner crap. air. And as open as it is, does it, does your scent travel further? Or is it exactly about the same or I, I would say roughly the same, but just the, the currents of the wind, I think it's something to do with the way the sun heats up the hillsides and, and just the uh, thermals yeah. is really what's okay. causing that. What, um, uh, how would ozone play into this? We we did run the ozonics, um, and it seemed to help. Um, I don't know for sure, just because 
the elk they they would move around too that's the other thing is it's not they weren't really running like one particular trail it's more like the the bulls were running the cows yeah. and bugling at them but um what what the what i learned at least from what i gathered is in the mornings the elk are down low and they're moving back up the mountain mm-hmm. and they go way up high in bed in the high ground and then in the evening it just feels like when you're on your way up the mountain in the evening, there's no elk, and you think there's not even elk around here. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's just like you hear them up high, and they just start filtering down that mountain. It gets louder and louder. How and, cool is that when an oh, elk bugles? It was, it's awesome. And I thought we might hear a bugle or two in an hour. Mm-hmm. When they started bugling where we were at, they didn't stop. It was just really? nonstop. I mean, they just kept going and going, and it's just like you could just hear them coming down the mountains and and it was wow. it was awesome. That's gotta be the coolest noise. Ever. Had you had ever seen a dead elk in person before this? No, I hadn't. So this was <laughs> this was awesome. And so the whole thing was new to you. Everything about everything. It. Yeah, it was just it, like I wanted to do it, and then I got there, and it was even better than I thought. Is it really oh. like overwhelming seeing that? Like, oh my god, I hope, look how big that thing is. It is. What yeah. state was this again? This is Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It was. It was just a. How big are they? When you see him, I've never seen an elk in person. Honestly, yeah, it looks like a cow with horns to me. I mean, it just really, oh yeah, it just <laughs> it's pretty it's much big. what it is. Yeah, it's nuts. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine walking up on like a big bull elk. Because what's a yeah. good size elk weigh? Probably eight hundred pounds. Eight hundred pounds. Yeah. Oh, so I, I thought they were get... like twelve hundred pounds. Well, I, I, I think some subspecies right can get that big. Right? Yeah, I'm not even sure. These, I, I should have asked how big this one we got was, but it. It was a good-sized animal. They guessed it to be a, a four-year-old animal, but mm-hmm. um, it was it was just so cool because they, they move good. That's one thing. For that their I, size. Yeah, for yeah. their size, yeah. they really move it. They're a lot like a, a whitetail, the way they move. I mean, just watching them try to herd up the, the cows mm-hmm. is just like watching a buck running a doe. I mean, right. I mean, we literally seen them at some point rubbing trees and scraping and chasing the cows and it was just it was an exhilarating wow. hunt did yeah. you get How to not get their antlers stuck on stuff you know what i mean <laughs> that's it's what a mass it's like man. 12 foot high there's with yeah. break stuff there's a huntable population of elk in kentucky now yeah yeah that's nuts they, yeah, they took it kentucky's right there yeah, yeah. they took an old oh, yeah. uh it was an old like coal mine and i mean it was like 19 square miles or something like that and they put them in there and i think it took because uh, I think they it said they wanted to get that long. They to wanted get to get them. like three generations in. I remember I was reading something about it, but it took like fifteen years. And yeah, you can go in there. Southern yeah. Illinois elk could definitely oh, yeah. thrive. And so, but you imagine if there's elk around here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you tear insane. up the crops. Oh it'd yeah, be, oh, it'd be let me rough. let me you, ask you. You can how, see them over top of the corn when they're see, walking through. Oh, if man. Illinois <laughs> had a huntable population of elk, we'd have fifteen hundred pound elk. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, my big corn fed elk. Oh, just, dude, dude, just nuts. Four hundred fifty inch elk <laughs> just running around. I think Minimum. we need to do that. I'm liking the sounds of it. Oh, it'd be awesome. Did. Did you get to eat any of the uh, the elk that was shot that yeah, night? Yeah, we How actually took the inside loins out and ate them right right after they come out. That we had a camp chef and she cooked up no these and man, it was so good. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, I've I've had elk a couple times. I remember the first time I had it, I think it was like seventeen something like that. My buddy's dad had shot one and uh, brought it back and put it in chili, mm-hmm. and it was like. Yeah, but you didn't chili. have like steak. No, like, I didn't have like steak. But I yeah. remember just like that taste. Well, Tenderloin's like, better than steak. I was like, man, that is fantastic. And ever since then, I was like, dude, I want to have fresh elk. Yeah. So you're pretty much in heaven. What it sounds like. It was total heaven. I want to <laughs> go back in the worst way. I want to go so bad next year and in September and try and kill an elk. Yeah, me and, C- me and Kurt are going. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'd am i rather go by myself. He's so. going to give me... Dude, dude, we're going to rig up... No, we're going to rig up a Segway with some off-road tires so I can hang out and keep up with him. You'd be at the bottom of the mountain. I'd be somewhere else like actually trying to get some stuff done. Yeah, that... I mean, that's that's a nuts Kurt, I'll go with you. About, you know, how, Clark, you want to go with? I'll go. <laughs> yeah. Steve we, can, need, we need the expert Steve now. can be our driver. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's such a weird thing, you know, how big those animals can get, you know, with the with the oxygen um, deal, you know, just the oh, elevation. Oh, man, those things don't know any different. Uh, but, I mean, you know, it's just, it's. But what so, wait, wait a second. Though, if, you, if you would take an elk from Kentucky and take it to Colorado, you, you don't think it would be affected by that? 
Oh, well, I mean, well, yeah, I'm sh- maybe, maybe. I don't know. You think it would? Dude, they're so adaptable, man. These yeah. animals oh, are adaptable are. as shit. But the thing is, I don't know. I don't, I guess, I'm not sure. But it's like, <laughs> they get so big off eating what? Sage and... Yeah, aspen leaves, I guess. That's wild. That's crazy. Yeah, was... Drinking that Rocky Mountain water and high country barley, Coors Banquet, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it was it was so fun though. I mean, just to hear the sounds and and the calling. I'm a caller. I love turkey calling mm-hmm. and really calling any animals, coyotes or whatever. So to go yeah. out there and actually call and have them respond, I bet you it's amazing. It was just cool. Yeah, well, I mean, and just the terrain. The terrain has to be awesome too. Oh, it was you're, beautiful. Everyone around here is used to the Midwest. You know, that's what we're all used to. And just go somewhere different it has to be amazing. Yeah, it that, was. That's my plan. I want to. I need to make like my own spreadsheet because I don't know when to apply for these out of state tags, like for Colorado, for, for all, and I need to figure all that stuff out and make my own spreadsheet and set reminders, like okay, mm-hmm. it's time to get on on their web state am, websites and apply. Am uh, I not mistaken though? Isn't there an over the counter elk archery tag that you can get in somewhere? certain zones? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it depends is it certain, on the oh, unit. Is it, is yeah. it in Colorado that you yeah, can do that? There's d- certain units you can, and I don't know which units they are, but I know there are are units that you can. Just go in over the counter, mm-hmm. and uh, I've got a buddy that does that every other year or so, and and he's had some success. I mean, he doesn't know exactly what he's getting into each time. He li- he likes to go to different areas, so it's oh, not yeah. like he learns an area and just keeps going back. He he wants to see lots of country, so he he'll just go. Oh, I really liked it out there, and my cousin just shot awesome. like a three hundred and I don't know. I guess he wants me to score it, but I. I guess he has to come this way to do it, but yeah, you're Col- gonna have to do that in your garage. <laughs> yeah, in Colorado, I think he didn't know for sure. He was thinking three fifties. He said on the on public land. He said on the way out, he ran into a guy, and the guy's like, "Dude, that bull's every bit of three seventy. Jeez, and he's at public land. And, yeah, uh, he's like, easy. "I don't know for sure." He's like, "You'll have to you have to green score it, and we yeah. can find out." But I've measured one elk. Um, well, I've measured more than one elk, but officially to put in the Pope and Young book uh, locally is a three hundred. 300 inch public land Colorado bull, and that was big for me. I'm like, holy, I'd be fine with the 280. Yeah, you know, I don't care. Yeah, 280 is still a great bull. The one, the one we killed was probably somewhere in that range, and it was a older deer, but it's just or older elk, but just kind of like the deer are. Not every one of them gets giant horns. Yeah, right. they're all individuals. And, uh, yeah, and it's it was just a really just like whitetails impressive. It's all animal. the genetics. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And but we have a great episode coming up with the elk because we had um, there was a few different guys killed him and Chance Bobiff he was oh, he yeah? was in on that hunt the week before I was there so he'll be in on our episode. Nice. Awesome. Um, he killed a really nice one. Uh, Weston killed his. Paul Biggs, one of our guys and, mm-hmm. and the editor for the show, he killed a, an awesome bull. I think it was a three seventy. He did his a public land in New Mexico. I oh, follow really? him on Instagram. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, He's a great guy. He seems awesome. like he seems like a real good family dude. He is. Yeah, he's 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 good stuff. So, man, I got to get out there and do it. I just got to go for it. Yep. Uh, it's scary, you know, for working class people that only have a limited amount of vacation to for Midwesterners to go out west and just try a spot and then you worry I'm more worried about just going to a spot and just so many other people being there that I'm fighting other hunters. Yeah. But like time. doing that too, it's like your first day of whitetail hunting. You're not Exactly sure what you're doing, what you're getting right. yourself into. It's right. like, where do I start? Ideally, I'd like to be like, find a guy that knows the area mm-hmm. and be like, hey, man, can you show me the ropes? Like, can I take get me along with in you? a spot. You can get me in a spot and then just completely bail on I'll me. I'll give you a yeah. shout out on my world famous podcast. Yeah. <laughs> world famous. Um, I did look at, we have some, we got quite a bit of downloads in South Africa. Do we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, look. Yeah. Is there there's hunting in South Africa? I think right. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely yeah. a lot. Yeah, I want to go great white shark hunting. Yeah, <laughs> sure. with a, with a rod and a reel. <laughs> I don't want to get in the cage with them or anything. Uh, but need, I'm excited for to see that episode though for sure. It's, yeah, it should be a really good one. We got some right in your face. This they they just come up and blow out a big old bugle. Right, chances <sighs> was was probably the best. I mean, it just comes charging. You just you got to see it. It's a it's a killer hunt. So and of course he can shoot pretty darn good. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He made a, a pretty solid shot on it too. But no, it's Welvering or would he? Yeah, I think it might. Oh be yeah, he hit the he dude. He aimed a little far back and <laughs> yeah. hit the fourteen. You, you, you don't go for the fourteen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that doesn't was, kill animals. He uh, he did good. West and made a really good kill. I haven't seen Paul's yet, but uh, 
Weston's. I got him right over the shoulder. I think you guys will love that one. That's when will all this be cool. out? Do you even know yet? I don't know the exact date for the elk. They haven't put out the schedule, but we'll start airing in January, and I I okay. assume that's going to be towards the front end because we try to keep earlier. all of our footage current. So mm. so basically, they'll be you'll be seeing our uh, deer hunts. Later from, in the season. Yeah, later yep. in the season. So it'll give them a little time since that episode's oh, okay, already yeah. built. I think you'll see that one earlier. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great so, show. I really I love it. And it's yeah, cool seeing you guys on it. And it's getting better all the time. We're we're <laughs> all well, I shouldn't say we're all new at this, but when we started the whole deal there was a couple experienced guys kind of guiding along the rest of us and right. now there's quite a few of us that are getting a couple years under our belt, three or four years, and it's it's getting awesome, better yeah. every year. Man, it's um, for sure for us you know sitting here doing our little podcast i mean you know being able to to just know you and ross on a personal level um it's it's one of those things that i'm so glad that we started this because this podcast started by chance like i'm so glad not chance boba (laughs) that <laughs> chance no, he, he didn't call us up like kurt and steve got a roll for you but no it's gonna get really sentimental like i'm i'm so glad that all this happened that you know we were able to meet you guys because you guys are awesome and uh you know as well, like i've uh, learned so much from interviewing people on the mm-hmm. podcast and yeah. it's cool to have you guys in studio and yeah. talking to you which is even better and it but. it makes it even better that we know you personally and you know when you guys can have success you know we get to see it and hear from it firsthand, and we're like, dude, we love you guys, and now, like, the whole world can see it, too. So, I mean, that's – it's such a cool experience for us, for you guys to have success. And, you know, it's just one, one of them deals that I'm super glad we do this podcast each and every week, and we hope you the best, man. Respect the game is awesome. I'm glad you guys are a part of it as a friend. And as a fan, I'm glad you guys do it. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, Same, likewise with you guys. I mean, this is a fun, a fun thing. It's good information for people, and mm-hmm. and it's it's fun to come up here. And that's that's a cool thing about a podcast or the TV show. It's not about just the 15 minutes of fame. Right. It's about the relationships you build. For and sure. Mm-hmm. I've met so many cool people, and it's just it's it's fun. It brings I people really together, enjoy, man. It does. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're basically kind of creating your own little group of people that are all into yeah. the same thing. And no, yeah, it really is. It's just fun. We, uh, My circle has grown so much, mm-hmm. but, but the thing is people don't have conversation anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do, but like this right now, we just have been sitting down talking. I haven't been on my phone, and we're just talking about hunting. Yeah. And we're getting into it, and I love it. And that's what really we've be- made a lot of friends by just doing this. Yeah. And you really get to know people. And there's some people that won't do podcasts probably because they can't do it. Yeah. Right? You know, it's hard for them to bullshit and put on a front for as long as we can. But real people will sit down with you and have a conversation just like this. But when you get it's people together, thing. too, you get more ideas and get everyone thinking. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we've gotten some random and we'll keep bringing you some random Mercer County guys. <laughs> <laughs> that have come hey, on. Mercer County boys know their stuff about deer hunting, man. You know, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> Are you even Mercer County? No, I'm Knox. There you oh, go, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> well, Knox County, yeah. It's just, it's. I thought you were a little more out of it, but I didn't. I didn't know. <laughs> no, no. Um, let's talk about Matt a little bit. I've never met Matt. Steve has. Eric, have you met Matt? Nope. So we can talk about him a little bit because he's not here. And... Yeah, he's a. Uh, the kid's a stud. Twelve years old. <laughs> How many girlfriends does he have? <laughs> he doesn't tell. He, we don't talk about the women very often. He just uh, he yeah, keeps that to himself. Yeah, because he doesn't for want because he doesn't want his dad to feel bad. You know, <laughs> only got one wife. Um, here's here's what I'll, what what I'll pick up for Matt, and you can obviously talk about him because you know you kind of made him. You know, not, I mean, it's... he I mean, physically and the man he is today. But uh, I remember the first time I met him, we were at a QDMA banquet. Uh, well, like four months ago, something like that. And, uh, you know, you talk to a lot of guys who are passionate about deer hunting, right? And, you know, it's they love it, but they're so calm. And I remember talking to Matt, and we're just sitting outside. There's a lot of interesting things happening around us, okay? So, like, to paint the picture, there's, like, some girl crying. A couple guys are taking shots outside. And the thing he is focused on, most on i'm listening to this girl's conversation because she's like crying yelling at her boyfriend 
he's out there looking, and he's like, you know, I'm like, what, what are you looking at? You know, I was like, it's a sunset. Cool, it happens every day. And he goes, no, man, I'm looking at this uh, this vineyard. I go, yeah. What about it? I'm like, I'm not going to buy you beer yet, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but he's 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 so into it. He goes, I bet the deer are hitting that. I go, you think so? I was like, they're grapes, you know. You really think? And I'm just kind of trying to pick his brain. And he starts going on this rant. He goes, well, because you know what? I'm kind of looking at, and I kind of looked at on my phone where we're at. You know, this ridge here. <laughs> so it didn't matter where he was at. He just got to this point and wanted to talk about where the deer are going to be. And having that kind of passion at an age like that, that is How old just is he? awesome. He's 13 now. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a teenager. Yep. He's... So we we can touch on this. I don't want to get into detail. Yeah, because this is an upcoming episode. Because, yeah, I want sure. him on an episode if, if he'll do it. Yeah, I think he will. He might be a little quiet, but you'll just have to – he'll answer you. So you okay. We'll give him a beer. We'll pick his brain. <laughs> no, we won't. We won't do that. Non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic. Yeah. We won't give him a beer. as a joke. But uh, So he had a great weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, he, can you just give a little touch but not enough, not too much detail? He killed a giant. That's it. End of story. <laughs> the The briefing is it starts a few weeks ago, probably five weeks ago. Shortly, well, it was actually the day I was leaving on my elk hunt. <laughs> yeah. The night I'm packing and I've got to leave at five <laughs> in the morning and Matt's uh, deciding to go out and ride the dirt trails with his bike and with his buddies and he snaps his arm. And anybody that knows Matt knows he's a diehard bow hunter and he loves shooting his elite bow. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. one of his biggest passions in life and he's, he's pretty darn good at it. Yeah. So to get that to that point, here he is at the front end of bow season and he's got a broken, broken arm. arm. <laughs> he, he snapped it good and uh, flipped that bike over and trying to do a jump and he, he snapped his arm. So he is the bike. All right though. I don't know if he's even looked at that. He was more worried about bow season. <laughs> still, he literally still on the dirt trail. Yeah, yeah. still sitting there. Yeah, he's he's sitting there in the emergency room, and he he had been pretty good about it, real like a young man. I mean, he was like taking the pain. He was doing good, and then I kind of look over, and I just see him. He's got his his hand over his face, and he's sobbing. And I said, "Is it hurting? Is it bothering you?" And he said, "No, that's not it." And I said, "What's the matter?" And he said, "I'm gonna miss bow season." Oh. And I said. I said, yeah, you may. I said, we'll see what the doctor has to say. But I'm thinking no matter what with the cast, he's going to miss part of it because how are you going to pull back a bow with the cast on your bow arm? You bring the bow in and you let him say, you let him hold the bow or whatever and set <laughs> well, the cast go. around that. Yeah, we could set the cast. He, he might have considered that if we thought of it. Yeah, he should have. You should have stepped up to the plate, Clark. I'm yeah. not saying he failed as a parent, but he should have. <laughs> yeah, so, so this doctor, he says that you're going to be in a full arm cast for – all oh. the way up to his armpit for for six weeks, oh. and uh, so he was bummed out. Man, well, in the meantime, I was on elk camp, and one of the guys says, uh, "Have you considered getting him a crossbow?" And I said, "Well, I don't know the regulations and the rules, but I would. I'm sure he would shoot one. I don't know if we could." Well, the cool thing is, this year, as we're checking into all the regulations, Illinois just opened up the crossbow season to all youth. Oh. Oh really? Yeah, and that's oh. that's just a new development for this year. I assumed it was a doctor's note thing. Well, that's what I thought we was going to have to have, and I was just trying to figure out how you get that doctor's note and actually the the make it legal. Yeah, they said, well, the law changes here. Have you checked into it? And I said, no. And they said, I think all kids can hunt. So I I got a hold of the state. It was before the the book got published out, and um, they said, yeah, that's that's a new rule. Interesting. And so anybody can shoot a crossbow. So. As a youth, as a youth, yeah, right. you got to be, you got to be under the under age limit. I can't think of it. You got to carry a, yeah, you got to carry a youth hunting license, right? And you got to be with an adult that has a valid archery permit. Interesting. So oh, okay. Okay. Cool. So, which is fine because we film our hunts. So, thought, you're well, always be with perfect. him. Yeah, I'm always with him anyway. So, right. it, so what's good? So we we got a hold of this crossbow, and I was actually I was always kind of scared with crossbows just because. You hear people getting their thumb hit and everything else. So, right. So we got this new, it's a Camex, and it's got a lot of safety features. I mean, it, you can't drive fire it. It's got little pop-up rails that actually cover your fingers so you can't. Oh, really? Yeah, really so I, I thought that's a really cool situation. Yeah. Because yeah. it kind of keeps his fingers out of the way. and it, Everything you're worried about, it kind of eliminates Yeah. It. And it just, so we we 
semi borrowed this thing. I don't know. The guy said we could hold on to it, keep it if we want to, but <laughs> right. I don't know if I got to give him money later. That or what, gray but, area situation. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, just delete him from but, your phone, man. New phone. Who's the, who is? <laughs> but after this weekend, I don't think we're gonna get it out of Matt's hands because yeah, right. He uh, he actually got to the point. As much as he loves shooting his elite, he he said one day, he said, Dad, I'm kind of glad I broke my arm. And I said, Well, why is that? And he said, Because because now I got a crossbow. And I said, Well, that's a that's a good way to look at it. So. Being positive. Hey, yeah. And the nice thing is he's always going to have the same shooting form, you know, with his arm and the cat. He ain't going to need a hold it up shooting. for yeah. you. Yeah, there's definitely consistency <laughs> in his form now. So, <laughs> No, he well, – uh, awesome. We had to get a little creative of climbing trees. It really limited what we could climb. Oh, yeah. Had to start using the lifeline a little more often, which right. if we're in anything that's not a ladder, I try to use the lifeline anyway just because yeah, I absolutely. don't want – anything to happen to him so we're really cautious about that but um down to this weekend we'll leave we'll leave the rest for the next one but mm-hmm. right. we'll just say last thursday we spotted one from the road that we thought was definitely a hit list potential a shooter definitely a shooter <laughs> kind of a no well, question shooter and did did it live up to expectations Find out when Matt's yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Reeling him right, in. So. I think we'll end with that. You guys want got to add anything? Uh, nope. No, man. I already uh, already gave you my heartfelt thing. I'm just thanks for making the trip up here. Yeah, Clark. Real. Any shout outs, real quick? Where yeah, do you got any shout outs to any anyone? Michael you Jordan, Scotty Pippen, whoever. Oh. Chicago Cubs, Bill Murray. Well, the Chicago Cubs. I'm not a Cubs fan, but I I do got to admit that's a pretty cool story. It is. My wife is a Cubs fan, so so she's been pretty happy. Uh, One of the Cubs is shooting elite, Kyle Schwaber. I I I can never pronounce Schwaber. I never pronounce. I didn't know he was a hunter. I don't watch sports. Yeah, he's shooting uh, shooting (laughs) elite. He's going to make it to the uh, uh, team for the World Series. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, I don't. I don't care either way about the Cubs, but I hope they do good just so I don't have to hear everyone yeah. complain and moan <laughs> on Facebook. Uh, so, well, let's shout out to the Bears because they're having an incredible season this year. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I said that wrong. Yeah, it's as good as it can go, right? <laughs> no, I am a Bears fan, but I'm going to kind of hide my head under the table after that. So, I, I wouldn't know either way. I'm kind of the new, I'm, I like being neutral when it comes to sports. That, that's a good thing. You know. Yeah, football's one of those things. Every game's on Sunday, and you're busy in the tree stand anyway. So it's like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. It can happen. It's, it's all right. A- well, guys, thanks for listening. More good episodes to come. Hope mm-hmm. you enjoyed this. Good luck hunting. It's getting hot out there. You know what to do. Go shoot your bow. <laughs>